0: So it can be really helpful at at this point to just check in with yourself, um, how you are, what's what's present for you, uh, particularly. You know, we can say generally, but particularly in relationship to being here, and. Maybe even more particularly on on this kind of retreat, where I think some of us have have come with you know specific expectations, maybe, and perhaps spending the morning in, in silent practice wasn't exactly what we were expecting, maybe, and perhaps now we might be feeling like we don't want it to end. <laughs> It's not ending (laughs) just changing yeah so just it it can be really worthwhile just to feel what is present yeah because that is informing you know whatever is present right now with no, no need to judge it as good or bad that is informing the listening yeah it's gonna inform the the experience does that make sense to people just checking in, and with that, that's a lot of what we do in in practice. You know, whether we we're doing practice in silence and alone on the cushion, or we're practicing within relationship, within interaction. So, a lot a great resource for us is that capacity that we have to notice what is present, to turn our attention in, to see what is going on because that informs what we will experience so it's worth knowing yeah and sometimes in the knowing itself there can be a shift or a choice and it can also be helpful to remember why we practice yeah which can be different or have different flavors for different people but just to remember why we practice and I'm just gonna answer that question in in hopefully just a few sentences yeah why do we take time to sit quietly to turn the intention in we do that so that to some degree the mind can settle yeah? and we're interested in the mind settling to some degree so that we see what is here yeah. what is going on and we're interested to see what is going on because what is going on internally affects how we are in the world affects how we experience the world and if we know what is happening in our experience even to just some degree that opens up possibilities of response yeah because we're always in relationship to experience we're always responding to some degree to experience and that response is informed by what is going on internally it's not just about what is going on externally is that does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So I could stop here, because that's the that's that is it, yeah. That's that's why we practice. That's what we're doing here. That is the practice. But I've got a whole hour, so I won't stop just yet. But if you just remember that or if you just sit with that. You know, and ponder, yeah, and reflect, and feel it for yourself, and that's that's a, a journey for a whole lifetime, just to explore that. So we can say that that practice is actually um, is actually made up of two things. One is interest. Yeah, interest in our experience. And the other is, Mark was, was kind of reminding us this morning, um, is that attitude of kindness or of gentleness or of not judging, of openness. Yeah? And these come together in our exploration of, of being a human being, yeah, of being alive. So, if you just remember that, that's also enough. Yeah, interest, curiosity, investigation, together with gentleness, with kindness. So, when I was, all of this just came now when I was sitting, and now I'm going to get to my notes. So, um, when I was reflecting on 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 this talk. Over the last few days, um, I was really getting um, an image, and the image was of the middle way, yeah, which is another way we can speak of, of our path. you know it's a very, very central and unique aspect of, of Dharma teachings, as they've, as they've come to us from apparently, the Buddha. Yeah, and you know sometimes, like a lot of other things, we just say or we think are oh, the middle way. Okay, the middle way. All right, the middle way. You know, and if we kind of listen to some Buddhist stories, then we kind of know the story of the Buddha. Um, you know, practicing very extreme practices, and then realizing that practice is not about the extremes. Yeah. It's actually about that middle way, and we kind of think, okay, middle way, I know that. And so I really want us to explore this middle wayness and to, to feel what that means, because it's something that we can apply to our practice, to our lives, um, all the time. And as I was reflecting on on this path as as the path of the middle way, um I I kind of was getting these um really powerful images uh for me. Um and they were both of water. Uh, one was um from June this year I was teaching a trekking retreat in um in Finnish Lapland which should actually be called Sami land. So just to say that the people who live there don't like being called Laps, they're actually Sámi people, So, um, and one day as we were walking in silence we uh, reached a confluence of two very, very large rivers and we, we stopped and stood there, um, you know, walking in a line in silence, just stood there in our line in silence at this place of confluence of two enormous rivers coming together. And as that image was arising for me, I, I realized that for me, a real feeling of the middle way is actually confluence. Yeah, And I'll say more about it, but I just want to kind of stay a little bit with that sense of the image. Of things coming together. Yeah, two seemingly separate things coming together and becoming something else yeah. and that kind of um, alchemy that there is in nature yeah and we, we can see that and what that does to us when we can just be in the presence of that whether it's external in the natural world or if it's internal as an attitude that we bring So yeah, this can be really striking because it's a coming together of things that seem to be distinct at first look, yeah, river A and river B. <laughs> yeah, they seem to be two separate things. And yet they come together in that confluence. And another image, as I was reflecting on this, was was just from. A few months ago, I was teaching another walking retreat in France, and we were by a little stream. And then someone told me, I'll walk up the stream, walk up the stream. We were camping there, walk up the stream. And at some point, there were two streams coming together. Yeah, two little streams coming together and making a slightly, but still small, stream. And one stream was ice cold. And the other stream was um, quite a pleasant temperature. And it was, it was so striking because they looked different. Yeah? One, the stones were grey, the other, the stones were golden. Yeah. They looked different, they felt different, and yet here they were coming together. So I'm giving these images because something that is really beautiful, precious, and incredibly interesting for me about the Middle Way is that things that can seem contradictory yeah, actually come together? Actually come together. And this image of water is also really, um, really powerful because with water we can see the process of things. Right? When we look at a moving body of water, yeah, we can easily see beyond the way we solidify things and think this is a fixed thing. Yeah, <laughs> because we see it moving. Yeah, we see it flowing. So we can see um, that the water is something that is constantly changing form and place. Yeah, and so it's a process rather than a fixed solid thing does that make sense to people still I'll keep checking with you sometimes I go off into the fairyland and I want you to come with me (laughs) so really seeing that with that image of of rivers or streams coming together a process yeah rather than a duality Of this and this, one plus one makes two. (laughs) Yeah? Rather than that duality, on off, we're actually getting a flow and a process. So, how does this relate to our practice? Yeah? How does this relate to our practice? I'll keep coming back to that. So, something that is present in our exploration on this retreat is, again, our, our attitudes to, to practice. And for many of us, if we really look, um, we have this sense that practice is something that happens when we're sitting with our eyes closed, with certain specific sets of conditions. Yeah? And that's meditation, that's the path, that's the practice. When we're alone, when we're in silence, you know, all these specific conditions. And yet we're all here, yeah, all of us are here because we find um, value or we realize that there's value. We're interested in what happens when we're in relationship, yeah, not just alone, not just on the cushion with myself, but in interaction, in relationship to other people or to other beings, I'm not going to limit it to human beings. And we know that there's challenges and there's areas of growth that are available to us, and often they're the same thing, <laughs> yeah? that are available to us when we are in relationship, or when, when we're not just with our eyes closed on the cushion in silence alone yeah we know that and yet I would really encourage you to check how much that first attitude yeah that first kind of assumption how strong is that in us still and that's kind of a lot of what I want to explore a lot of what we'll be exploring over the the time together we can ask it in another way is where is the practice Where is the practice? And what happens if we have an underlying attitude, which is not good or bad, that the practice is here? So my invitation, kind of what I'd like to explore, is seeing community, seeing relationships, Seeing that as a meeting point and a confluence of practice. yeah, Just like rivers coming together. So the practice in silence, in aloneness, like we've been doing this morning, supporting the practice that is in relationship to others. And also the other way around. The practice in relationship, nourishing, opening, widening, deepening the practice with our own inner life. Yeah, So the two coming together. And they both support awakening, which is where the middle way leads. Yeah? They both support awakening, both forms of awakening. And another image that, that comes with that is, um, and I know I've used it here before, is the image of just feeling our cushion kind of grow <laughs> and expand. Yeah? So the cushion can become as big as the world. Yeah? It doesn't need to be limited just to the meditation hall or the meditation spot that we have at home. That cushion can grow, that intention yeah. to quieten the mind enough so that we can see what is present and to open up the possibilities of attending to experience. That can grow beyond just that attending to the immediate experience as we practice quietly. So in the, in the teachings, in the tradition, there's a real emphasis on this. And sometimes, to some degree, that emphasis has been a little bit diluted as, um, as meditation practice, as Dharma teachings have come to the West. Yeah? And we have retreat centers and sitting groups and all these wonderful supports for practice. But they tend to create this um, duality that I'm kind of trying to point to. They tend to to create this duality. And there's a a beautiful um, quote from the Buddha that that many of you are probably familiar with, but I just think we can't remember it enough. Talking about the importance of community, talking about the importance of, of sangha, the Pali word. Um, which I'll just say a little bit mm-hmm. about before um, before I, I say this quote from the Buddha. There was a question in the suggestion, um, I don't know what that thing is even called, plastic envelope, on the notice board. A request to to hear a little bit about sangha, what that word means. Um, so the literal meaning of sangha is community, and in the tradition it's referred to as the community of like-minded people, yeah, people who um, are interested in exploring life in the way in the way we are now, and exploring this experience of being a human being, and in. Opening our possibilities of responding to life in ways that are skillful and wholesome and that reduce suffering. So some point in the tradition, particularly the Theravada tradition that we're part of, it and, and you might hear this in more traditional circles, it got narrowed down to um, the Sangha meaning uh, the monks and the nuns, and sometimes even just the monks. <laughs> which we do not agree with. Um, and so, you know, sometimes if we look at the traditional understanding, we might get this, a feeling that that is what is meant. Um, but that is not the case. Yeah. And we are all um, sensitive, intelligent beings. Yeah? So we can really explore these concepts and, and get a sense of what feels authentic and true for us. And maybe I'll just say one more word with that, with the way interpretations, historical interpretations solidify. So the Pali word for monks and nuns is bhikshus and bhikkhunis. Um, But it actually means those who practice. Yeah. So I loved that when I heard that from Joseph Godstein a couple of years ago. I was just like, oh yes, and he said, that means all of us. So it's not just those who've taken... Vows of celibacy and wear, ro- wear robes and things like that. It's all of us who uh, who practice. So there's this wonderful um, student of the Buddha in in um, who appears a lot in the text. His name is Ananda, um, and he was uh, one of the the Buddha's closest. Um, disciples and his personal attendant and he appears a lot and he's got this kind of role of asking the Buddha questions um, and then kind of being told he's wrong um, so you know we, we get these kind of roles in all in all types of myths and historical traditions so for me he I have a lot of affection <laughs> for him um, he also reminds us about how important it is to ask questions, because yeah, a lot of the time the, the teachings actually come as we question. So in this particular story, Ananda is doing his usual role, and uh, he comes to the Buddha and he says to him, um, is it true that the Sangha, yeah, the community that practices, um, that the Sangha is half of the holy life? Yeah, we can say the Sangha is half of of the holy life, meaning here half of our practice. Yeah, being around Sangha, being around community, that practice is. And the Buddha's response is, don't say that, Ananda. (laughs) Often he repeats it twice, don't say that, Ananda. And we can all really kind of feel grateful to Ananda that he didn't lose his Integrity and willingness to ask questions. So the Buddha says the Sangha, and he calls it noble friendship or admirable friendship in some translations, the Sangha is actually the whole of the spiritual life. The Sangha is actually the whole. It's not half of the spiritual life. It's all of the spiritual life. And then he continues and he says, when a practitioner has noble people as friends, yeah? when a practitioner has noble people as friends, they can be expected, the practitioner can be expected, to develop and pursue the Eightfold Path to Awakening. So again, if that's all we remember, yeah, why is this anger the whole of the spiritual life, because having that support and having that practice means that we are sure to pursue and to develop the eightfold path, which is the path to awakening and i 'll say about it a little bit more later and when i was I was reading that this um, earlier today I I remembered a a quote from one of um, one of the one of I don't remember his name but a great meditation master from Burma um, who died uh, I think about 20 years ago but he had this beautiful saying which really catches the meaning of what the Buddha is saying here. And his saying was, life is never alone. Life is never alone. So we are always in relationship. And, and we know that, yeah, when we sit and practice. Yeah? We're in relationship to what is happening in our experience. And a lot of the time, we're in relationship to other people yeah events in our lives so life is never alone so whatever we approach whatever we perceive and whatever we experience in life is affected yeah by some of our underlying views and attitudes and expectations, yeah? And that is another way of seeing this, life is never alone. There's always things affecting our experience, external things and internal things. And being with sangha, being in community, being in relationship and exploring that relationship as a practice can really help us to see this. Yeah, can help us see what are the underlying attitudes that are affecting experience. Can also help us see what they lead to. Can also help us see what other possibilities are here. Yeah, so we've made a little leap here. Does that leap make sense to people? Yeah. Not so much. Hmm. Okay. So I want to give an example um of this. I um I teach a, an event in France every year where we create a temporary community of 150 people and then walk in nature every day and camp. Um so it's a very bizarre thing um that we do. Um, and because we're a community, because we're a large community, because we have people there from sometimes a few weeks old to, you know, in their 80s, um, there's a lot of opportunities to, to see things. And I just want to share uh, one thing um, from my, kind of one story from, from my experience with that. So one thing that I know about myself but I also tend to forget is that I'm a perfectionist. Um, So I know this very well, and I also forget it all the time. (laughs) And so here's this completely crazy event, you know, of 150 people coming together, walking through the countryside and camping in people's fields. Um, And I realized um, a few years ago that everyone is walking around, and most people are walking around and kind of saying isn't this incredible, you know, isn't this amazing, you know, this is running so well, you know, who would have thought that this is possible, you know, and I'm walking around and all I'm seeing is what isn't working well, <laughs> and what could be made better, yeah, and how we could do this, you know, this way, yeah, familiar, you can see that this is familiar to some people, and so... If I was just alone in my own head, yeah, it would, I, I would probably not see this, yeah. I would believe this story in my head of, oh, things are really not going well, you know, there's a big drama because dinner's going to be five minutes late, um, or whatever it is. And I really believe this. But if people around me keep saying something else, yeah, that's, that's one example. <laughs> Yeah, then at some point, something clicks. It's like, hold on, what is underlying, what is the underlying attitude? And how is that affecting not only how I'm seeing things, but how I'm experiencing it? Because it can be incredibly stressful and unpleasant to walk around and just see what needs to be made better. Right? And if I can feel that people are enjoying, if I can feel that things are actually going incredibly well, yeah, that changes my experience. And as the, one of the core teachers and core organizers of this event, if I'm happier and more relaxed, it also affects other people's experience. Yeah, So there's a real cycle there. Does this make sense as an example? Yeah, so there's an underlying attitude. Yeah. There's an underlying attitude that's affecting experience. Being in community and being open to what that can mean allows me to see that. Seeing that allows me to let go and see in a different way. Yeah, new possibilities. Seeing in a different way changes the experience. Yeah, it becomes enjoyable. <laughs> and not stressful yeah? allows me to work with the, pra- with the pattern of perfectionism differently because then I know it's there I'm much more vigilant and aware when it comes up I can say hello <laughs> see you later Yeah, I'm not going to take you so seriously yeah? and then that affects how I am able to be there what I'm able to offer that affects other people So sangha, yeah, really, really so helpful. So crucial in this way. So the underlying attitudes or expectations or views that we have, you know, that they can be helpful or unhelpful. And often, you know, it's a matter of degree and situation. Yeah, they're not necessarily good or bad in themselves. You know, having... Awareness and perception of details is really helpful, yeah Really helpful a lot of the time. Yeah, wanting things to be really, really well done as an offering for people is really can be really, really helpful, right? It's a matter of degree and circumstance. So just like these attitudes that we have, yeah, in life all the time, we also have them towards um, cultivating community. Yeah, so I'm going to kind of turn the um, spotlight onto that, yeah, because that's kind of a particular area that we're exploring here, and it's it's really worthwhile looking at them. You know, I said one at the beginning, that sense of actually the practice is on the cushion. And there can be a sense with that, that the practice is on the cushion. And that's why I should be working on my stuff, yeah? So that when I'm in relationship, yeah, I can see the fruit, yeah? So I should sit here, eyes closed, pay attention to the body and the breath, work with my experience, and then when I'm interacting with other people, it should all kind of be really smooth, yeah. The fruits of the practice should be there. Yeah. And that's one underlying attitude that, that some <coughs> of us may have some of the time. Or there can be this attitude of oh I'll sort out all my stuff, yeah, and then I can kind of support others, or then I can be in interaction with others, because then I'll be this really generous, kind, compassionate person <laughs> that I've always wanted to be and a very small part of me believes that I can be, um, yeah. So that we can see these, yeah? We can see that this, this is there, this plays a part. Or there can be an attitude that community, that sangha, um, you know, should just be 100% something I find supportive. You know that one? <laughs> yeah, and if there's challenges, if there's misunderstandings, if there's conflict, then we're doing something wrong. Yeah. That's another underlying attitude that can be there. Yeah. And both of these attitudes that I've just described can be beautiful aspirations that really support us, right? That wish to work on ourselves and work with our stuff so that we can bring more healing into the world. Yeah. That's a beautiful aspiration or that wish to cultivate a sangha um, where we, we, we know how to work in harmony. Yeah. That's a beautiful aspiration. But when that becomes some kind of measure yeah, that we need to get to, yeah, that becomes um, kind of a, a fixed ideal that we need to conform to, then that becomes problematic. Yeah. It stops being helpful. And in all those situations, it can be really helpful to see, okay, there's this attitude at play, yeah. There's something at play here, but this is one part, one condition, that is bringing things together. Yeah, it's one condition. And it has an effect. And there's some attending I can do with it, but it's not the only thing that is happening so all experience is conditioned in this way yeah all experience is conditioned in this way countless conditions things are not objective or neutral in the way we take them to be and this can be a huge liberating force for us in our lives and in our practice when we remember that yeah conditioned coming together When we remember the conditioned nature of experience, yeah, and when we remember that our own attitudes, yeah, our own expectations, our own views, our own habits, are a condition that's playing a part in the way things are unfolding, this can really support us to take things less seriously. <laughs> yeah. So if I go back to this example of this, what's called the Yatra in France, the pilgrimage. I go back to that example. Yeah, Remembering that, you know, all these things are coming together. It's not my job to make them perfect. Yeah, Remembering that allows me to take things less seriously and to ease off. And I came back a year later with a kind of even more advanced practice, which was how can I enjoy this? Yeah so bringing in the condition a different attitude yeah which helps to take things even less seriously how can i enjoy this how can this be fun and again using sangha on the first day i went around and i said to people if i look too serious yeah if i look too serious please come and tell me a joke yeah or just remind me that I'm looking too seriously. Yeah, we can use Sangha in that way to support us. And we can use our own capacity to get in touch with our experience. Yeah, and to open up to possibilities. It's conditioned. Now what can I do about it? Most of the conditions I can't change. But how does knowing my own attitude, my own view, my own expectations, what I'm bringing in, how does that shape, how does that affect the experience? So this broadens and deepens, yeah, broadens and deepens our understanding and perspective, both in relationship to ourselves, our inner life, and relationship to others, yeah, and in relationship to others. I think I'll make it. So I want to I want to bring in another quote from um, the Vietnamese Zen teacher Thich Nhat Hanh also referring to sangha. And he says that in Buddhism Slash dharma practice you know some people don't like isms and that's fine so buddhism or slash dharma practice there are three gems there are three um, sometimes called refuges also so three really precious resources for us the first one is the Buddha not as a religious figure but as um, someone who um, symbolizes the capacity to awake yeah, to live fully, yeah. So that's the first gem, yeah, the first um, really helpful resource for us in, in the teachings and the practices. The second is the Dharma, the teachings and the practices. And Thich Nhat Hanh refers to Dharma as the way of understanding and loving. He's, he, he puts things so simply here. Yeah. So the way of understanding and loving. And the third is the Sangha. And he refers to Sangha as the community that lives in harmony and awareness. The community that lives in harmony and awareness. And then he says, the three are interrelated and at times it is hard to distinguish one from the others, right? They condition each other, they rise together. In everyone, yeah, in everyone, including ourselves, there is the capacity to wake up, yeah? There is the capacity to wake up, sometimes called Buddha nature. Yeah, we have that capacity to wake up to life. In everyone there is the capacity to understand and to love, yeah, to put into practice the teachings. So in ourselves and in each other, we find Buddha, we find Dharma, and we find Sangha. In ourselves and in each other. We find Buddha, we find Dharma, we find Sangha. So in a way, he's going back to that saying of the Buddha. Yeah? The Sangha is the whole of the spiritual life, the whole of the holy life, the whole of the path to awakening. And when I read this, listen to this, I feel like there's a real invitation, Yeah, a real invitation to us. Can we see the sangha both as a support for the practice, but also as a field of practice, right? The sangha not just as a support, but as a field of practice, just like the body is a field of practice, just like the breath is a field of practice, just like the thoughts are a field of practice, yeah? Just like this human experience is a field of practice, the Sangha community is also a field of practice. And sometimes that can feel like a stretch of the practice. Yeah, we're stretching the practice beyond just the inner life into what happens when we are together. Yeah, what happens when we are together? How we can learn and explore together within difficulties, within challenges, and also within the beauty, yeah, of coming together, the beauty of, of community. Yeah, that's all ways that we can explore and learn. And it in many ways is so obvious, right? That's why we're here, like I said at the beginning. It's so obvious. That the stuff of our lives is in relationship. Yeah, we see things when we interact. And going back to that response of the Buddha to Ananda. It's through the Sangha that we cultivate and develop the Eightfold Path. Because the Eightfold Path is not just sitting on a cushion with our eyes closed. It's about understanding, it's about intention, it's about action, it's about speech, it's about livelihood, it's about effort, it's about mindfulness, and it's about samadhi, about being able to gather ourselves on what matters, to center ourselves around what matters and what's important. And so when we look, when we remind ourselves, what is this eightfold path, (laughs) which is what leads us to the end of suffering, (laughs) yeah? When we reflect on that, it becomes obviously again even more clear. Yeah, so much of that is in relationship. So much of that is in relationship. It's about practicing within the entirety of our lives. And the time on the cushion is an essential aspect of that. Yeah, I'm a dharma teacher. <laughs> I have to say that. <laughs> I'm even more than a dharma teacher, I'm a practitioner. And this is what my experience tells me. Yeah, The time on the cushion is an essential aspect of that, but it's not the whole story. It's not the whole of the path. So we're practicing within our lives and we're exploring what comes up. And I want to give another example from my experience and just kind of highlight this a little bit more, hopefully, clearly. So this, is, um, this happened very recently, um, just in the last 10 days. Um, and I'm, I'm a co-founder and a trustee of a very small charity um, which raises money um, for scholarships for higher education for Palestinian um, young Palestinian um, men and women. And um, after a couple of years we've now got enough funds to actually offer scholarships and we've been involved in the process of having to allocate them. And so there was a small group of us, some of the trustees that were kind of subcommittee, having to make that decision. Wow. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that, that until we were actually in that process, yeah, of actually sitting down with the applications and the amount of money we have and needing to put those two together, I think none of us was really aware that this was coming. Yeah and that we would have to say no. We have to take responsibility of who we say yes to. With much less information than we'd like to have. Yeah, much less information than we'd like to have. And it was a beautiful um, practice for us. Yeah, small group of people, all practitioners. Yeah beautiful process of first of all taking time and looking at what comes up yeah looking at what comes up in that process again underlying things that are there and are affecting how we're going to act for example that discomfort of having to say no either pushing us to kind of want to really just go really quickly through the process because it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. How often does that happen to us? Yeah. Or wanting to make decisions which are not realistic. Yeah. We'll support everybody. Yeah. And then having that as a practice, yeah. really feeling in, talking things through then taking a break talking again the next day you know really feeling things through listening to each other listening to each other asking each other questions so helpful to both kind of go through this process in a way that at the end we felt okay with the decision we made yeah but we also learned so much about ourselves, about the human condition. Yeah? So much. You know, one person said, you know, look at this after we were talking for a while, this is so interesting. He said, look, we're, we're looking at this as if this is a finite number. Yeah? Here are the applications. And we're having this attitude as if this these are all the people that need help. But it's not, you know, not even in this one village that we're supporting. (laughs) There's other people that need help, but they didn't get to us. Yeah, Even here, so we're actually going to say no, whatever we do, we're going to say no, we're going to turn down some people. Yeah, If we just widen the sense of community a little bit. And wow, you know, that's, what an understanding that is. And how that opens up. The possibility and just the ability, to just, just okay. So this is a given. Yeah, the first. This is the first noble truth. <laughs> yeah, there is suffering that we can't, not going to be able to address it all. And then when we we kind of that opens up, we let go of that contraction. Of oh no, we need to say no no. That's a given, and we can look. With more freedom, yeah we can play with the conditions that we have, so this you know the first aspect of the of the Eightfold Path, you know wise view, wise understanding, understanding of the conditioned nature, the understanding that there is dukkha, there is suffering that is here, understanding that we are in, in, in an imperfect. World, yeah. These are all ways that the that we're practicing the path as we're interacting with life. The understanding of what is my tendency. You know, I was saying this to Mark. You know, I could see my tendency is to say, okay, let's just give scholarships to all of them, and you know, if if we're short of money, well, you know, I'll take it out of my savings or whatever, non-existent, <laughs> whatever. You know, I, we'll find a way somewhere in the future you'd see "Ah, that's my tendency it's interesting i would never do that for myself yeah it's interesting yeah i would never get into debt myself that's another tendency (laughs) yeah so we see yeah "Ah, that's here's my tendency this is all all wise understanding looking at intention what is the intention here the second part of the path what is the intention of course there's an the intention to support students but there's also an intention of of understanding life yeah of supporting peace and harmony internally and externally there's so many intentions at play looking at that taking action yeah inquiry asking questions of each other of of oneself being interested in the process yeah that's also a type of action yeah Interested in the process, not just in getting to the result. Staying open. Speech. Yeah. Being honest. Yeah, and with what I see, because that supports the process of us as a group. Yeah. Being considerate, listening. You know, there's all aspects of. of wholesome and wise speech maintaining effort yeah the effort to stay steady the effort to stay patient the effort to stay open yeah not rushing that's all effort the mindfulness yeah mindfulness which um, allows me to be aware of what's arising yeah all the time bringing that in that gatheredness on what matters staying centered and aligned with the intention so all of this this is how we bring the path into into life yeah and we can do that internally ourselves that's part of what we do but we can also do that together we can also do that when we stretch into stretch our practice into the cultivation of community and the realms of relationship. So, hopefully, this has given you a lot of food for, for thought and for reflection. Yeah, there's quite a lot in there. And in our time here together, we're going to be looking at this. Exploring this, um, looking at some of the common issues that come up in community, in relationship, yeah, and how we can um, attend to them as a practice. Yeah, that's what we're interested to do, how we can attend to them and relate to them as a practice. thought at some point I thought this was going to be a short talk but they don't happen anymore so yeah we'll have time in the afternoon to kind of also explore things more together Um, and so let's just have a couple of quiet minutes together to just digest and um, make space for what has come up. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.